this period that we're in, the, the month of Elul and the preparation time for the High Holy Days, um, which for us is um, somewhat routine, certainly for Israel, very routine, for most of the church, uh, almost unknown. Uh, it really is a time and an opportunity for us to assess ourselves and to commit ourselves back to the priority of the Lord, particularly in the, the face of suffering. Uh, I talked at the beginning of this time period about our need for endurance based on the book of Hebrews. And then we talked also about the suffering that may be required as uh, was uh, brought to us uh, by Rami and, uh, and Frida. And then um, uh, last week I talked about a, a commitment, a recommitment to community uh, because we need each other and, and all the more as we reach times of temptation and persecution. Uh, I'm trying to stay focused somewhat on the book of Hebrews because that book is the most appropriate book uh, during this time because the book of Hebrews uh, generally is talking about Yom Kippur and the ultimate judgment and the establishment of the reign of God in all his creation at the culmination of the age. So I, I want us to look at uh, a passage. We've been looking pretty much at this passage on and off, and I'm trying to pull various pieces out of it. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, beginning at verse 18. Uh, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and to a blazing fire and to darkness and gloom and whirlwind and to the blast of a trumpet that the sound of words which and the sound of words which was such that those who heard them begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. And so terrible was the sight that even Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. You haven't come to that Mount Sinai, the writer says, but you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and the myriad of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See to it that none of you refuse him who is speaking. For if those did not escape who refused him who warned on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. This expression, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken, the created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken will remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude, by which we may offer to God an acceptable sacrifice with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, there's a lot to talk about there. And I have another message I want to get to related to this. But today I want to talk a little bit about the idea of uh, returning to God. The comparison of the shadow of Yom Kippur, uh, which is revisited each year on earth uh, by the ministry of Israel. Uh, 
and ultimately fulfilled in the return of our great high priest, calls us to offer an acceptable service with reverence and awe. I joke somewhat bitterly about layaway Christianity, a little bit of what is the frustration of the Western church, this kind of compartmentalized, I've got my fire insurance and so I'm okay. I said the magic words and I'm going to heaven. Now let me get on with my life. Um, And there are people who are into that who I believe are genuine believers. They simply don't know anything better because that's what they've been taught. And the circumstances have not been such that that is challenged. Uh, Though I worry about that kind of shallow faith when persecution and uh, greater assimilation issues uh, come. So I want to talk about this idea of returning to God that we might offer an acceptable servants with reverence and with awe. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't think of God as a consuming fire. The fear of the Lord is gone from this country. Um, God, if he's accepted at all, is this kind of gentle, kind, benevolent spirit in the sky who will uh, uh, solve problems and provide ways for us to achieve our own purpose and goal and, and, and wonderful existence. And even among people who think that's not the God that we serve, there is that default in much of our behavior. So this passage says that those of us who aren't coming to Sinai, and Sinai had shaking, are going to be about a shaking that will shake everything of this creation apart to only leave that which is eternal. And therefore, we should offer an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Reminds me of Romans Chapter 12. After giving the entire passage of the first 11 chapters of the plan of God and the deceit of man, Paul then says, I beg you, brethren, I beseech you, that you present your bodies. He uses altar talk. Present your bodies like the presentation of selves and offerings. You present yourselves as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service of worship. Acceptable service of worship. That you may prove, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, that means demonstrate, it don't mean I proved it, it's 2 plus 2 equals 4, means to demonstrate to manifest the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and complete. So Paul seems to have the idea that a person who comes to God has a path to walk. And that path to walk is the path of life leading to Mount Zion and the new covenant 
and the creation that cannot be shaken, the new creation and the new Jerusalem, and that that's our purpose, that once we have come to faith, that's the road that we walked. Because the scripture talks about two roads. We've talked about this before. There's the road that leads to death. It's the broad road. It's the one that everybody's on. It's easy to walk. Tends to be downhill. Um, everybody's on it, so you got plenty of people to talk with, you know. Uh, and we're making good time. We just don't know that we're going to fall off into it. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways are the ways of death. And then there's this narrow path that is hardly visible. It's got a lot of rocks and trouble, stumbling blocks and difficulty. And you're trying to walk up and everybody's walking. Why are you going that way? Let's go around. We're getting to the same. All roads lead to the same place. Why are you taking that rough one? And this time of year is our calling back to get back on the path. And when you get back on the path, then you have to walk. You have to walk the path. And that's behavioral. And that's intentional. So, I want to talk about returning to God and what that means. And we're going to begin in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 7. Beginning at verse 3. And I don't want to take these verses out of context. I'm simply trying to show you that throughout the scriptures, there is a constant call for God's people to return to the path. To return to God. And the reason for that is we're sheep. And you know the the joke about working with certain groups is like herding cats. Cats, I think, are easy compared to sheep. Sheep uh, tend to scatter over anything. They're easily frightened. And they also tend to think that the one in front of them knows where they're going. And they will, they will follow each other into peril. Okay? We're that way. We all get up. I'm going to walk the pathway of God today. Oh. And then off we go. And if we go, someone goes, oh, there must be something interesting. And then they follow, Right? Or someone else says, gee, it's much easier walking this way than over there. Okay, we can still get there. And there are plenty of people that will give you that message. So, one of the issues is returning to the path. And God calls us to that. So, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 3. Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart... Remove the foreign gods and the Asherah from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord and serve him alone. He will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. Now, there is a blessing in walking the pathway of God. It's a tough path. Those who live righteously are going to suffer persecution. But you can take your persecution from one of two sources. You can take the persecution of the world or you can take the judgment of God. Now, I get, and you all get, that the, that the judgment of the world seems to be a lot closer 
And that's where our struggle is. Because it's seen and it's visible and I'm avoiding it. But the judgment of God, which is more certain and greater, is just as present. It simply isn't seen because these other things are in the way. So we tend to walk based on what's seen. But Samuel calls them back and says that they are to remove the other gods. You're to remove anything that's calling you off the path. Whatever leads you is your God. This is why the scripture says that some people's appetites are their God. Their belly is their God. Okay? That could be their sexual appetites. That could be their, their eating appetites. That could be their uh, appetites for uh, acknowledgement and fame and for whatever. Whatever your appetite is, if you follow it instead of God, that's, a, that's what a sin of holiness is. Because this first one is really about holiness, avoiding other gods and being identified with God. And that brings us to a passage that we already read today, but I think it's important that we look at it. 1 Peter chapter 1. That verse on preparing. First Peter 1, uh, verse 13. Prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the pathway. Returning to God is to return to the pathway. As obedient children, do not conform to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. Your ignorance of God. Now that you know God... You don't go that. That's why the scripture says those who fornicate are doing what those who don't know God do. You, if you are chasing that, I'm not saying you fell into it, you're chasing that, seeing how close you can get, you are following another God and you don't know God. But like the Holy One who has called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, I want to talk about this. When you walk the path of God, most of us are bipedal, right? I'm a little bit of a quadruped. Uh, even to this day, if I'm down on all fours, I knuckle walk. Most people don't do that. They do this. I knuckle walk. I've always knuckle walked. So, so I don't know if that's Darwinian. I don't know what that's about. Okay? I just do it. I have a tendency to do this when I'm, when I'm on the ground, right? But most of us are bipedal. So when you walk, if you're going to walk the way of God, you're going to walk using two legs, a left leg and a right leg, walking. It's a skill, right? Left, right, left, right. Now, the left leg, I'm just doing this as an analogy, the left leg of walking Returning to God and walking the path of God, the left leg is holiness. Without which, the scripture says, no one will see God. And James tells us true religion is to be unspotted from the world. What is holiness? It is separation from the world and identification with God. And if you read the holiness commands, I don't have time 
to address them all. But the first one is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind. What do these passages say? Both Samuel and this one. Prepare your mind. Prepare your heart. Give your heart to God. And when you are holy, it will affect you. Now, it's interesting if you study the holiness commandments. They are all about normal human activities. The holiness commandments are about what you eat, what you wear, what you drink, how you reproduce. I mean, it's about all of the appetites and it makes a distinction. There's a marked distinction between the observant Jew in holiness, in the way they dress and the way they eat and what they eat and those kinds of things because they are following God. It identifies them with the God who commanded that. There's something unique about the practicing Christian who has the same thing. Not exactly the same. There's a distinction between the holiness commandments for the Jew and the stranger. Some of them overlap and some of them are slightly distinct. But together they take these two peoples, the chosen people of Israel and the disciples called from the nations and give them that left leg of, of walking that says you're a little different than the other people. It's not a complete break. Some things are a complete break like the prohibition of pork. But some of them are just, temp, just levels of break like the issue of not being drunk. Be not with drunk, which is an excess, right? It's not saying don't drink. It says don't be drunk, right? So what we have is we have these holiness commands that make us different from the world and clearly identified with God. And that's what this is about. So returning to God means to be holy. Now beyond that, returning to God means something else. Zechariah chapter 1. See how fast you can get to Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 1 verses 1 to 6. Oh, I did Zephaniah. Okay, sorry, sorry. It's not far. Just two over. 1 through uh, 6. In the eighth month... Of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, son of Barachiah, the son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore you say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers. To whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? Gone. And the prophets, do they live forever? No, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your fathers? 
Then they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Now I want you to catch what he's saying. Don't wait for the return call. Well, if I get too far, God will bring me back. Man, I, I had I had I still have it. People will they hear my testimony of my rebellion, leaving the ministry and all that stuff. And they'll come in and they'll sit down in my office with an appointment. And they'll say, tell me about your rebellion and how God brought you back. Now, I know exactly what they're asking. Okay, They're not asking for how to avoid that. They want to know that how far did I get away with my rebellion and how certain is it that God will bring me back? Dangerous question. Because the scripture is pretty clear that if you keep running and God doesn't bring you back, you're not his. And you won't know that. I didn't know that. Thank God he brought me back. But I didn't know that then. I wasn't calculating. The calculation makes the sin even worse. I think, well, I can get this far away. And you know that if you're a parent. You've watched your kids do it. They know that if you're going to count to three, that you're going to count to three four times before you actually get to three. And they play it right up until that point. And now you're really livid. You think the wrath of God is not tough? So that's, that's part of this returning God. The second one is turning from evil. Stop doing evil. We talked about holiness. The, second, the other leg, the right leg, is goodness, which is the second commandment, to love your neighbor, right? Love God, holiness, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. Where am I headed? The city of Zion. Okay? Lust and the world. Lust and the world. Where am I headed? The kingdom of hell. It's very easy to analyze ourselves at this time of life and say, where am I headed? Where do I want to be? I'm marching to Zion. I wish I was going over there. Right? That's not good. We have to prepare our mind for where we're going. And as Anya said earlier... There are going to be problems along this road that if you're not prepared for... Wait a minute. This morning, as I was leaving and Cheryl was getting the car ready, we were taking stuff out of the car that they didn't need to go down to this trip. And we took this stuff out and I saw Cheryl go back into the garage and come back out and she's got a first aid kit. And she says, with this family, we don't want to take this out of the car. Right? Now, the truth is, we have a whole hospital inside the house, right? And she was bringing all those things, but we never know. We might need another Band-Aid or something, and so let's add that to it. That's being prepared. Being prepared says, it's going to be a rough trip. Let's, let's go prepared. We still may not have everything we need. The Lord will provide, but we don't just say, well, the Lord will provide, and so I'm on my way. So... I want you to turn to Hebrews, back to Hebrews, chapter 10. Verse 
And I know this sounds like a negative sermon. It's not a negative sermon. The, the writer to the Hebrews uh, says this, but he says, I don't expect that you're that problem. Okay? I don't expect that you're that problem. If you are, you should know it. But I don't, that, that's not the issue. The issue is those who have ears to hear, those who have eyes to see, the warning is all you need. Okay? I wasn't one of those. I had to have the experience. Okay? Not recommending that. Chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 26. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying experience of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he has been sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? How do you insult the Spirit of grace? Romans tells us. You, you, you insult the Spirit of grace by saying, let us sin that grace may abound. We're not under law, we're under grace. When you hear those kinds of statements, you are dealing with a person who is not on the path to follow God. They're trying to see how far down this road they can go and still make it back in time for dinner at the marriage supper of the Lamb. A very dangerous thing to do. So, the second turn, returning to God, means... To be good. The third one is not only returning to, to God in the sense of holiness, righteousness, holiness, righteousness. It's very hard to do that by yourself. But more than that, we're, we're called to do this in a group. It is always better to travel in a group. You guys probably heard about this couple that was coming up from San Diego last year. And they took a wrong turn, elderly couple. They were due back up here, I think Anaheim or Fullerton. They took a wrong turn and they got lost. And then because they went out of the phone range, their phone kept trying to find the the tower, and so it drained the batteries. And they were there for a week or so. And the man ended up dying. And finally they found the woman and brought her back. And the family was saying, they'd come back all the time. They knew that road. They just got a momentary problem. And he's dead. It's not in a strange area that we can lose it. You need... A group, if they had had another car traveling with them, they would have been able to uh, deal with, with, with the problem. They could have called right away or known that they'd made the wrong turn. Hey, don't do that. And that's what we do with each other. Hey, no, don't go that way. I went that way. That's not a good way to go. Come on, get back on your road, right? Well, it looks good to me. No, I've been down that road. You don't want to go down that road. That's what community is about. Community is about helping each other. It's not about 
judging each other, condemning each other. It's about saying, don't, don't do that. This is the way to go. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. I love this verse. I've probably talked about it too much, but some of you may not have heard it. Imagine there's an idol here. Got eyes but can't see. Got ears that can't hear. Got a mouth that can't talk. Hands that can't do anything. Okay? So you come up and you say to the idol, where should I go? What should I do? How shall my life be? Right? And then you wait. The idol's going to talk to you. Well, how does the idol talk to you? Through your random thoughts, through your appetites, and through your circumstances. Welcome to paganism. Paganism listens to their thoughts and says, it's God talking to me looks at their appetites and says, God made me this way and therefore I should follow this, and looks at their circumstances and say, I wonder what God's trying to teach me. That's paganism. And Paul says, when you were pagans, that's what you did, however you were led. (laughs) But we have the Spirit of God in us, in the community, and the Word of God, and the Spirit and the Word work together. Don't separate them. Okay, don't use the force. (laughs) And don't use the word in the letter and the death of the word. You, you, it's a living word of the Spirit of God that inspired it and, and helps us as community. And in that context, we stay together on the, on the road. Now, as parents, you know that. You're t- sending your kid off to go to the restroom or something. Say, stay with, stay with Johnny. You guys stay together. That community thing is important because they will take care of each other, love one another. There's the third commandment, the new commandment, right? Holiness, righteousness, together. Holiness, righteousness, together. I can't go this fast. We'll wait for you. Come on. I'm off that. No, you're not going that way. Okay? I'm dragging people this way. We'll cut you off then. You're dragging other people out. We'll cut you off then. But we're doing it to save the body, not because we're punishing you. Those principles are important at this time of year to be reinforced in Judaism and Christianity to remind us of why we're doing what we're doing. Why do we get up and fight the 91 freeway on Saturday morning? Because we are returning to God from the garden that we lost to the eternity that we are gaining We are walking a pathway that he has laid out. And his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And the danger is that there are lights and and screamings and our own flesh and all this stuff that tries to pull us off the road. And we have to make sure that we don't do that. So, Ephesians chapter 4.
Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. What's the calling? To get on the path, come back to God, holiness and righteousness. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. There it's all right there. You see, all of these passages are saying the same thing. With diligence to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there's one body, one Spirit. One, one, you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father who is over all and through all and in all. But there is this body. And he goes on and talks about that body. And he says, this is done so we're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine and every weird thing that comes along. But that the body... We speak the truth in love and grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fit and held together by which every part supplies, we need each other, according to the proper working of each individual, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Which brings us back... To our last passage. I'm actually going to get out early. Chapter 10 of Hebrews. Verse 23. These three verses. Are the three points. Of all these other verses. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Don't go to the left or the right. Get, stay walking. For he who promised is faithful. That path is certain. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Love God. Love our neighbor. Love one another. Not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. That day approaching is the day of judgment and the day of atonement. They are one in the same. Judgment and atonement come together. Just as the two goats, one to Yahweh and one goes to the devil. You will either say, just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. O Lamb of God, I come. Notice the direction. Or you will carry your own sin and burden, and he will say, depart from me to the place prepared for the devil and his angels. I never knew you. Atonement and judgment are two sides of the same coin. And this is the time of year when we remind ourselves of that so that we get back on the path. Not feel guilty. The feeling guilty doesn't do you any good. It's just a waste of emotional effort. Okay? You're driving down the road. You're supposed to get off at the off-ramp. You've all had this experience. And you pass it up. And then you realize you were supposed to get off back there. Okay? Now, you can beat yourself up for being a stupid driver. You can tell yourself you're a jerk. You can feel really bad that now you're going to be late. None of that does any good. There's only one thing that does good. You turn around. It's called repentance. And you get back on the right road. 
That's what it is. Okay? It's a simple behavioral act preparing your mind to obey the Lord from this point forward. And we have to get up and do that every day. Because we're a living sacrifice. Someone has described it as we put ourselves on the altar and it's hot up there. Okay? If we were a dead sacrifice, we'd just lay there and burn. But we're living sacrifices. Man, that's hot! And we get down. We have to get back up. Up. Every day. Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm back. Here I am, Lord. I'm not going to... If I take one step away... I used to take a lot of steps away and then come back to the Lord. I'm getting better at... Oh, no, not that one. And that's the getting ready for the future. Because we're going to face a future where we don't have time to try to have a revival to get ourselves back on the path. And remember, our children are watching the pathway that we walk. And they would love to find an excuse to not walk because you didn't. We must take this time to return to God to being holy, to being righteous, and to being community. And that requires assessment of our lives and the courage and the faith to make changes. Let's pray.